Hi everyone, uh, Steve Perriman here. Uh, so, a new week uh, and the Burnley game to look forward to this weekend. Well, okay, Monday. And myself and Howard will talk through some of our memories of past games, uh, of course, from our point of view, that may co coincide with some supporters out there. As the great Jimmy Greaves would, would have said, it's a funny old game. And that applies to this week as much as any in the aftermath of the uh, West Ham result and performance last weekend. So the utter despair felt at the end of the Newcastle game was more than matched by the bad feeling when the Hammers equalised with that spectacular goal with the last kick of the game. A, a one in a thousand shot, I call it. Well, um, what a kick in the stomach. And um, I, I, I can guarantee that the players and management and staff and all those people concerned with a, with a, with a team, with a result, would have been as sick as we all were. So I think you have to believe that, that you know, no one, no one goes home and says, well, it's just, just one of those things. So my experience of that game, I'm not proud to say this, was that I got caught doing a live radio show because I was asked to do, give my choice of records to match my career. And guess what? It went over time. And you may not be surprised by this because Terry Naylor phoned in, who happened to just come across this radio show and therefore reminisced, reminisced with me and gave, also gave us the benefit of his singing ability. And um, you can imagine what that was like. So he ended up giving me a very nice invite at a later date for a fish and chip evening with him. So well done, Tell. Good, good to have heard you and met you again. All the time I was doing this, by the way, it went over time, as I said, my wife was letting me know the score with updates from the West Ham game. So by the time I actually got to watch it for myself, we were 3-0 up, much to my delight. So it plays out to half time and then still staying in this hotel. But there's an end in sight to that, by the way. I'll maybe mention that later. The connection, we lost the connection. So I didn't see or hear the halftime experts speaking, the goals, for instance. So what I watched was about 20, 30 minutes of a, of a half where no goals were scored. And yet I'm still delighted because we're, you know, we're putting up such a good show and we're, you know, in a, in a real strong position. So I'll leave it there for a minute. I'm going to return to this after um, we hear from Howard. So Howard's got his facts and figures book out again, Howard, and you're going to come up with some, some memories from Burnley, I think, in the 60s, aren't you? That's right, yeah. So Far away. 
most people hearing of Burnley think of a small northern club who have recently got into the top flight and struggled to think of much more. But the truth is that Burnley were one of the top teams in the 60s, winning the old first division in 1960, the year before us. Although they stayed in the top division until 1971, once they were relegated, they fell further down the league until a few years ago when they were in danger of going out of existence and were saved by a late goal in their final match. They slowly rebuilt and are now a regular mid-table team, albeit they are very unlikely to get any higher. So what has this all to do with me or Tottenham? I became a Spurs fan in 1960, age seven. I met Steve, another seven-year-old boy through our parents, and we became friends. We played games, but especially football. Together with his younger brother, Terry, we founded our own team, Sutton Cedars. When I say that we played to the lowest possible standard, I really do mean to the lowest possible standard. Lower than low, I've heard, Howard. What about that? <laughs> we also chose which teams, teams to support. I had already chosen Spurs. Terry had independently also chosen them. So Steve looked up the paper and chose the team then in second place, Burnley. So he became a Tottenham Burnley fan and stuck with them for the rest of his life. Sadly, he passed away three years ago. But any time someone mentions Burnley, I think of Steve. Terry and I still discuss Tottenham. We speak before and after games and he comes to matches when he can. There are a lot of classics between Spurs and Burnley in the 60s. Here are a couple. We met in the FA Cup final of 1962. We had won the cup in 61 to complete the double. The story goes that the incomparable Jimmy Greaves, who had this great havoc of scoring on his debut in any competition, spoke with a member of the royal family who was attending the match. The Duke asked Jimmy how long it would take him to score, five minutes? Jimmy responded saying four. He, of course, scored in three minutes. Well done, Jim. Man. We won 3-1 and were the first club to retain the cup since 1952. Other games come to mind. In September 1967, we lost at their place 5-1. In the return match in March, we won 5-0. While the following September, we beat them 7-0. The 5-1 defeat was played in, on the 2nd of September 67. It so happened that my brother was getting married the following day. He was absolutely terrified. There were lots of things to be done that day while Spurs were playing. I was tasked with the job of making sure he turned up. I was to stay with him and use my 15-year-old's wisdom to assure him it was the right thing to do. Of course, I was desperately trying to listen to the radio to keep the latest score from Turf Moor. When I eventually found out the result, I was in a terrible state. My brother has now been married for over 50 years and has four children. As soon as each of them were old enough, I took them to White Hart Lane and three of them became serious supporters. Sadly, the fourth was not at all interested in football, but worse still, he married out. I mean, she's an Arsenal fan. There's the story of the 60s. Harry Potts was the manager, Howard, in their successful period? I think so. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure it was. And, and quite amazing that, that for such a successful team for a number of years, you know, we, we're doubtful about his name. Yeah, right. So, uh, and I think the other famous man of Burnley was Bob Lord. He was. Bob Lord, the, the, as I say, the chairman. And, and they, they were a famous club, uh, 60s, 70s, 
for the youth development and, and their ability to produce players. So that's one of the reasons why they could compete. When I say the bigger clubs, I mean the clubs from the bigger cities. Yeah. So people like Martin Dobson, Dave Thomas, Steve Kinden, Ralph Coates, of course, Ralph Coates, our own Ralphie yeah. was, um, was one of their uh, products. So, so well done, you know, they, they were a bit above, ahead of their time, really, Burnley. And that, that's how they could, uh, could compete. So, um, Leighton James. Leighton James, yes. Now, do you know what? I thought of his name, Howard, but I had more recollection of playing against him for Swansea. So yeah. um, I remember trying to catch him on a couple of occasions, but uh, he, was, he was quite elusive. So back to my story. Thank you, Howard, for that. Back to my story. So I, um, we get to half time of the West Ham game and three nil up, delighted. Uh, I can't listen to the experts. So guess what? I put my own expert hat on. And as an ex-player and coach and manager, I decided, what would I say? In the, in the capacity of the manager, what would I say to the Spurs team, 3-0 up, and what would I say to the West Ham team, 3-0 down, which, which I always find quite interesting. And, and it took me back to, to, you know, the great eras that I was involved with at Tottenham and, and uh, Bill Nicholson and Eddie Bailey, Keith Birkinshaw and Peter Shreve. Um, so... At half time, it was a double act, and in both those both those situations, the assistant spoke first. Now, there's no way that I'm aiming this at, at Jose and his staff. Of course, I don't I don't know what goes on, and why should I know? But um, but the assistant spoke first, and then the manager came in on the end of it, and and I'm trying to think what the reason for that was because. Maybe the manager has got so much on his head, so many decisions to make with substitutions and and tactics and changing the shape or whatever, but that he steps back a bit, allows the assistant to to take over the show for a little while, and then the manager steps in and gives the final the final instructions before they go out for the second half. But I'm thinking back to my own time and. Because things can happen close to half time, so you're starting thinking about your, your talk or your speech from about 35 minutes in. And of course, the normal situation at half time is you're a goal up, you're a goal down, or you're drawing. So that's quite a normal half time talk. For the more um, for want of a better word, the more outrageous half times, you're 3-0 up like we were, or 3-0 down. Or, for instance, in the 42nd minute, we go down to 10 men. So you haven't got long to think about those situations to get your message over to the players. And I think it's as, as, as much important of how much purpose you've got what you're saying than actually what you're saying. 
So, for instance, to prepare myself, if we if we came in at half time, and we were down to ten men, I would have messages already in my head, probably written down in a in a notebook somewhere, in case I wanted to refer to them. That you know, when we when we defend a corner, we leave one up on the halfway line normally, or because we're ten men everyone back we don't leave anyone back on the halfway line so so what i'm saying is you you know you're, you're explaining to your team there's no extra reason why we should concede a goal from a corner defending a corner because we've got 10 men instead of 11 in a way when that ball comes in you've got as many players as you had before so you're trying to be positive to your team to explain them that it's not all bad and, and I would say, if you're 3-0 down, if you're West Ham, there's very little to gain, unless you want to go and take make two or three substitutions. There's very little to gain by just going in and the hair dry treatment or whatever you want to call it. So you've got to be, you're not going to be cheerful because your team's 3-0 down. You're not going to be kind because your team's 3-0 down, you're going to be ultra sensible and you're going to try and describe a way that you can get back into this game. Maybe you out there, the supporters, you've, you've thought about all this before. Maybe you haven't. But, but I would be saying, look, the, the, the most important thing when we start second half is do not concede another goal. Probably probably the game's gone if they score a fourth. So, so 15 minutes, keep it tight. You do not have to pull back a three-goal lead in the first 20 minutes. You've got 45 minutes. So make sure we're... And actually, by the way, West Ham, we finished the, first, the second half of the first half very well. So we've got to continue on that vein. Try and eradicate the, the defensive problems that, that gave them three goals or they created three goals. And of course, you've got to pick up on little mistakes, maybe shape mistakes, and and you have to own up yourself if if you've you've started off with the wrong tactics, for instance. So, it's a case of being purposeful, being as positive as you can, albeit in a in a in a bad situation. And um, and for instance, one of my sayings was that that. If you can get a goal, if we can get a goal, one goal in football can very soon become two. So, okay, the opposition at 3-1, not too worried. They're disappointed they've conceded a goal. But at 3-2, guess what? They're going to start to get nervous. And they're start going to have to make substitutions that maybe they didn't want to make and go a bit more defensively minded, which would draw us onto them. So, so a lot of this can be played out before a ball is kicked. And much of it has to be played out thinking on your feet, on the spot, as per, look, the, their right back, for instance, I'm not saying this was the case, but their right back's got a yellow card. Let's get at him. Let's try Let's try and get another yellow card out of him. Let's try and him make a mistake. You can call it the right back, the left back, centre backs, whoever. You 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 decide that on the day when when you're doing your your talk. 
so um so yeah hopefully that's of some interest to you um with with Tottenham for instance and I'm not going to go into it really because I don't know what happens I certainly don't know what happens in the West Ham dressing room but from the Tottenham point of view uh, a, a colleague of mine at Exeter used to ask the players which is the most important minute of the game and sometimes players would say, oh, the first minute because we got to start right or the last minute because we got to last the pace. And the answer would be the very next minute. Be it you're 3-0 up or you're 3-0 down, you start worrying too much or you start enjoying it too much, then that's a bad sign as per doing the right things for the next minute. And when you've done it right for the next minute, you do it right for the next minute. So it's about keeping your purpose and keeping your head on the game. The other instruction to a team that's 3-0 up is do not do anything silly. Do not get a red card. Do not go down to 10 men, etc. cetera. Uh, don't give too many fouls away around the edge of your box. Don't give corners away needlessly. And all those typical things that, you know, hopefully you're listening and, and agreeing to this, but but maybe you're not. So I think uh, the halftime talk is going to be another subject that I I uh, go back to um, at a later date because it's it's very interesting people's style, be it Alex Ferguson or or Bill Nicholson with Eddie Bailey or Keith Birkinshaw or Arsene Wenger. I heard something the other day about you know he stayed quiet for most of the halftime and. Basically, he was wanting the players to sort it out for themselves. And I think that was written in, in, in um, Ian Wright's book, that they were amazed how little he spoke when he took over at, at that club. So, so yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting subject. about, And, and the other thing about halftime talk, if, or, or any talk, be it in training, if you gave the same message to six players... I'm not sure six players accept it in the same manner. They, although it's the same words used to everyone, they all accept it slightly differently. So there's something to think about. So um, all disappointed uh, with the way it ended up. Um, I'd, I'd like to think about this. So, so, I think when everyone thinks back to the 80s team, hopefully I haven't kidded you to think that we were great every game and we won every game. Of course, we didn't because we weren't league champions. But overall, you look back with sort of rose-coloured glasses because you say, that was a good team. I enjoyed my time watching them. Well, if I suggest that you watch YouTube, and I've, I've watched it because planning for this podcast, Spurs v Burnley in 1983, 19th of January, 1983. Milk Cup, fifth round. Uh, we lost 4-1 to Burnley. Watch it with that in mind that we were a good team because you're not going to think that for much longer. So what I'm trying to say is when Jose said that's football at the end of the game, Maybe you were thinking that's an easy way out. That's not enough of, a, of an explanation. But actually, it is, that is football. 
if you get the wrong game on the wrong day, by the way, Burnley that day were in the third division. They hadn't won for about nine or 10 games. They dismissed their manager on the afternoon of the game. They appointed Frank Casper. The players were only told that before the game, before they played at White Hart Lane, this third division team. And they went out and spanked us 4-1. And of course, there were some odd situations. If you watch it, maybe you've watched it already. There was things there that will never happen again. And, um, you know, you could count on one hand the, the amount of mistakes that Ray Clements made in his first career. Well, that day was one of them. And um, Graham Roberts, for instance, how solid was Graham? Graham scored two own goals. Well, he didn't mean to score two own goals, but, you know, maybe the pressure that they were putting on us encouraged them to score the own goals. So, so it's... It sometimes can be a rogue situation, a rogue half of football. And maybe Man United supporters could be saying that with regard to the 6-1 defeat, the, the previous game. So uh, Burnley also reminds me another Coca-Cola Cup. Um, the previous one I spoke about was a Milk Cup fifth round. 93 v Burnley away, Coca-Cola Cup, the new name for the cup. We drew nil-nil, so it wasn't a spectacular game by any means. But Steve Carr made his debut at 17 years of age, and he ended up playing 226 games for us. And I think he played 60-odd internationals and had a, had a fine career. So that was something of no Aussie. Our deal is the manager decided to give Stevie his, his debut, and uh, we were delighted that we did. But um, I don't think he played in the replay, and we won, we won the replay. Uh, with Teddy getting a couple of goals. So, so yeah, these things happen. Um, I mentioned Ray Clem there. Um, Clem, unfortunately, is, is not well. He's been ill for some time. I'm sure we all wish him well and his family. Um, Clem's had a tough fight for, for many years, too many years. Um, but this is one brave soldier, Ray Clements. And... Um, you could, you could see how mentally strong he was as a player. And that's continuing on to, to today. And, um, we, we, you know, Ray, if you won't be listening to this, but we, we wish you well and we wish you uh, to keep that fight going uh, on your behalf and your families. Um, this week, I was reminded of the anniversary of Melia Alexic's uh, death. He, he died quite early in his 60s. And, and I've told you before about Barry Danes, still no better Barry, but got his loving family around him. And uh, a name from the past that people may or may not remember, Terry Lee was also a goalkeeper and Terry died um, very early, some years ago. And um, it seems to be the, the, the goalkeepers that are being taken from us too, too quickly. So, um, just one thing, Howard, I think you missed out there, that the 62 final, the press called it the chessboard final because the two teams were so evenly matched that that's how it was looked upon. It was actually a much better final than people gave it credit for, but uh, not a bad title for, for a final, Howard, eh? And before those finals, you know, we had the sing-alongs before and the marching bands and all that stuff. So, 
So the game wasn't so bad back in the day, was was it? Okay, everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, my thanks again to Howard and and uh, Tom for behind the scenes stuff and um, keep the facts and figures coming, Howard. We we love your stories and especially when you involve your family at weddings and such like. So uh, thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Up the Spurs. <laughs>